The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. You know, I was working on the youth house with, with Scott last night, and we were doing some painting, and he asked me what I was preaching on this Sunday, and I told him, I'm going to be pre- preaching on praising the Lord unless I get home and something changes. Well, it did. Um, so I'm not sure who needs it, but we're going to be in Psalm 73. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 73. And let me ask you a question. Does it ever trouble you that in this world, if you look at it generally speaking, the righteous seem to suffer while the wicked seem to escape suffering somehow? Have you ever gotten the bad end of the deal? Even maybe if it's a Christian, they did something they're not supposed to do, but yet they profited from it, and you're stuck. And at times, we're all tempted to cry out, God, not fair, right? It's not fair. Why do you allow the wicked to prosper while the godly suffer? Why do these scoundrels live long, happy lives and, you know, the saint suffers? just not fair. And Psalm 73 tackles this problem. It's not some philosophic ideas, but somebody that's been down in the trenches. And, you know, the reason I like the Psalms is because they're refreshingly honest. They do not give you false view that if you're a believer, you're going to be walking around every day saying, praise the Lord, even you should be, but it faces the reality. And uh, their full, the Psalms are full of praise to God, and they teach us that we should be the people of praise but they're also very, very realistic and showing us such praise does not come without a struggle, right? And it's interesting what I find in this psalm. He starts with a conclusion, not an introduction. This psalm actually starts with a conclusion. It's a strange thing. You know, somebody said, what makes a good sermon? Somebody said a good introduction and a good conclusion and have them be as close as, close as possible. But he starts with a conclusion. And because he didn't give you the conclusion, if he didn't give you the conclusion in the beginning, you would think he's an unsafe person. He's not a Christian for what things he's going to say. And his conclusion is this, is in verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Now, this is the conclusion that he's come up with. He hasn't done it lightly. He's thought about it. This man is not jumping to conclusions. And he says, Truly, God is good. Now, I want you to remember that God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Now, what the devil wants to do is get you thinking negatively about God. And if the devil gets you thinking negatively about God, he opened up a door for all kinds of chaos and all kinds of trouble in your life. But he begins with the conclusion, but then he also begins with the confession. If you look at verse 2, it says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. He confesses. He says, I was close to abandoning my confidence in God, in His goodness. My feet almost slipped. Turned aside almost from the right way. He's backsliding, slipped away from God, turned from faith. I almost lost my faith, he's saying. God is good all the time. I nearly lost my faith. So what is he talking about? There's a confession. 
And you see the sister, uh, sister, sister psalms is Psalm 73 is Psalm 37. And if you look at Psalm 37, 23, says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. The man almost slipped, but thank God there's God that keeps us from slipping. And I want to look at four things today here and I want us to get the same perspective, the same viewpoint, the same thoughts that Asaph had in this psalm because you will need them in these last days. Because it's open season on Christians, folks. There's going to be persecution. And besides persecution, there's going to be disappointment. There are going to be troubles, heartaches, tears, fears. And you're going to wonder, I'm a Christian. What went wrong? What's happening? It doesn't look like this whole faith thing is paying off. It doesn't seem that life is fair. Let me, let me give you four thoughts. And I hope that you write them on your heart. They're going to come directly from this psalm. And today is going to be something strange. There's not going to be a lot of scripture. We're going to be just mainly looking at the psalm. And look at the prosperity of the sinner. And what he says in Psalm 73, verse 3. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And King James Version says, I was envious of, at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, he allowed his focus to shift from the goodness of God to the prosperity of the wicked. So instead of looking to God, he's looking at the prosperity of the wicked now. And folks, remember I told you, you know, there's some smart people in this world, and I mentioned Bill Gates and so forth, and it's not nice to call people fools, but he's a smart man. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, smart man, but they're going to die as fools unless they turn to Jesus, because a fool said there is no heart. There, there is no God. And he was envious of the fools. We look at these people, and he wants to be like them. Well, they're rich. He did this. I want to do it. And now listen to me. He confesses this. And, and look what he says about them in verse 4 through 10, Psalm 73. So he's looking, he shifts his focus from God to the, the wicked, how they're prospering, and he analyzes their life, and he just looks at them and says, For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, their pride serves, serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have tons of stuff. They have more than the heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppressions. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks the earth. Therefore, his people return here and the waters are full of cup and drained by them. So, these people enjoy everything there is in life. They taste the last drops of life, these wicked people. So, he's looking around. He's a believer. He's serving God. And he says, I saw prosperity of the wicked. Now, let me clear this up for you guys. So, you know, I always say this. Not all poor people are saints, and not all rich people are sinners. But he's just speaking generally. And he just looks at these people, and, you know, and he says, why are they prospering? I'm being honest. I'm being good. I'm serving God. And look at verse 4 again. There are no pangs in their death. That, that it's easy. They have an easy death. They're not suffering, but their strength is firm. 
They come to the deathbed and you think they'll be crying for mercy or something like that. No, they're just dying with a smile on their face. But folks, we need to understand that man does not fear dying because he doesn't know what living is. And folks, you know, because he doesn't understand there's judgment coming. And so these people are living hide, wide, and handsome. And then he also looks at their peacefulness. They're prospering. They're peaceful. And then he looks at their pride, and verse 6 says, Therefore pride serves as, as their necklace, violence covers them like garment. They wear pride like a gold chain around their neck. They're prideful. They strut. They walk in peacocks, walking around, and sees these people, they're so arrogant, they can sit strutting down, and he's questioning everything. God, what's happening? Not only that, he's peacefulness, this pride and then he sees their pleasures. They, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. They got stuff in the garage. They got stuff in the attic. They got stuff in closets. They got money in the bank. They're the fat cat. They got everything. He's saying they're, they're bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. He doesn't need all that stuff, but yet they just continue to have it. Here I am trying to serve God, and, you know, I'm trying to run down to the bank Beat the checks before other ones clear so I don't become overdrawn. And they just live like they don't have a care in the world. Where's all that money? Where's all that Cadillacs that these joy boys preach about on TV? Right? Mail us $100. Somebody will mail you $1,000. Where's all of that? And then he moves on to verse 8 says, They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They're rotten through and through. They're corrupt. And he sees their arrogance. They're so arrogant. In verse 9 he says, They set their mouth against the heavens. They even talk against God. Their tongue walks the earth. And folks, I never heard so much arrogance as I do today in this world. Turn on television as we're hearing today. There's absolutely no fear of God in anybody and the wicked are seeming to be prosperous. And this is what this man sees. And he says, their tongue walks the earth. There's no fear of God. They take God's name in vain. And he looks at their people, prosperity, peace, pride, pleasures. They're... And he's saying, God, not fair. God's not fair. These are wicked people. And folks, if you're not careful in your life, you're going to become like this man. You're going to take your eyes off Jesus and put it on the sins, and you're going to look at the sinners, and you're going to begin to think negatively about God. And your feet are going to slip. So you see, if he started out saying the psalm that way, you'll say, well, he's not a Christian. But he started with a conclusion. So he sees, starts with the conclusion saying how God good is, and then he sees, starts talking about the wicked and their prosperity. But let's talk about the problems of the saint, right? He moves on in verses 13 and 15. You know, sometimes we think if the sinner prospered as much as a Christian would, it'll be all right. But I'm being a good Christian, and I'm not prospering. There's nothing. So what happens? Look at verses 13 through 15. He says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, 
I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So what's this man's doing? So before he came up with that conclusion, he was looking at the prosperity of the wicked. So he's looking at them. He has an outward look. Now the problem with the saying is now he's looking in. He's having a pity party. He's about to have a pity party if you look at this. Uh, in this verses that we just read, he kept saying, I, me, myself, and so forth. Uh, so he begins to look inside, but it's more self-centered view than God-centered view. He feels sorry for himself. And why is he feeling sorry for himself? Well, first he says, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. He had a cleansed life. In other words, what did good did it do to me to have this hand, clean life? Washed my hands of innocence. I had come to God. I confessed my sin. I had a cleansed heart. And as, as far as I know, there's no unconfessed sin between me and God. And he was sincere and he had a cleansed life, but yet he was not prospering. But then he moves on and says, I had a chastened life. For all day long, I've been plagued and chastened every morning. You think that a man loved God, served God, and his life was clean, living with a clear conscience, that God would be pouring out blessings upon him, right? Material blessings, we would think. You think if God, if you were, had that man, if you're living your family, living that way, you just get full of blessings. Nothing will go wrong in your life. And instead of blessing... He gets chastening. Every morning it begins again and again. He's expecting joy, happiness, and it didn't come. Why? You see, we need to come to an understanding that God deals, somebody said, God deals with his own on the cash basis. And with the sinners, he deals on credit. What's the difference? Well, if you're a child of God, God will chasten you whenever you need it. Chastisement might come in correcting, or it might be you've done something wrong, or a chastisement monk so you can grow in grace and knowledge, maybe discipline. And David in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, someone said, It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And I've said this before many times, you know, our eyes have to be washed in tears before we can see clearly, before we can see clearly what's going on. And sometimes God will chastise us, and because we're done wrong, it's not a sign that he doesn't love us. It's a sign that he does love us. And in Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Whom the Lord loves, chastens. And don't forget that. Because how God deals, how does God deal with the devil's crowd? There seems be living large, or nothing's happening in their lives. Look at Romans 2.5, because we sometimes see it, and if you read the book of Romans, he gave them over to their thoughts, he gave them over, gave them over, but look at Romans 2.5 says, but in accordance with your hardness and impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You're storing it up. You're just all that wrath, you're just adding to your bank balance. And one day, judgment comes to them, and it will. You're treasuring up to yourself. Now, 
Sometimes unsaved people say, why, why would I need to come to God? I'm, I'm living, I'm good, I have a family and all that stuff, and we're prosperous, and you know, I'm doing better than your Christians. Well, you may be, but you see, God's not going to touch you because you don't belong to Him. He's not going to chastise you. Whom the Lord loves, He chases. You know, when I was little, and I'll be outside, and I'll play with some other kids or whatever, and then, you know, bad words come out or we're doing something we're not supposed to, and my dad hears it, I'm going to get a whipping. I still do sometimes. But my dad's not going to touch those other kids. They're not his. If their father wants to chastise them, that's fine. But he's going to deal with me. So he had a cleansed life. Then he had a chastised life. So I, I don't understand God. Wicked's prospering. I'm struggling. My life is clean. But all I get is even more punishment. So that creates a confused life. Look at Psalm 73, 15. It says, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to your generation of your children. What he's saying is, if I stood up in church and I really told people what I feel, that I'm done with this thing called faith, my feet almost slipped, I've had it, I'm trying to serve God, it doesn't do me any good whatsoever. I see all these wicked prosperous, these fat cats. They have more than their heart can wish for. It's just not fair. So he's saying, I can't even let people in his congregation, let them know what he's really thinking. Because, folks, we are responsible not only to God, but also to one another. What we say can impact our families or those in the family of God and those who are still outside the family of God. So if we grumble and question God's goodness, let's say at home, you're questioning God's goodness in the presence of your unsafe children, is that going to be a positive thing for them or a negative thing for them? So he's, he's confused. It's a sobering thought. So before we complain against God, we need to stop and face our responsibilities to believers and others. And in verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Wicked, prospering, I'm a good Christian, I have no unconfessed sin, I'm trying to do things honestly, can't get a break, all I get is more punishment from God, I'm confused. So he's talking about prosperity of the sinner. Then he reflects on the problems of the saints. And then the third thing he saw, what I call his perspective of the sanctuary. Look at verses 16 through 20, Psalm 73. When he says, when I thought how to understand this and it was too painful for me. Then in the next verse he says, what? Until. So if you have a Bible or you use a Electronic device, underline that word, until. That 
This was too painful for me to even think about to understand it until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them up slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they brought up in desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one wakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Until. Now what he has done is he's gone into the house of God and he got a brand new perspective. That's why I call it perspective of the sanctuary. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, all of a sudden it down on him that the problem is he takes his problem and he goes in the presence of God. He went into the sanctuary. He went there, sat quietly, reflected on things, calmly, saw things in their right perspective, and he understood that this life was not all that there was to it. There was a life to come when all accounts would be settled. And he says, how can I be so blind? How can I be so blind? And folks, I believe one of the things that he's missing in his life before he came to a realization is he's been missing some worship services. He's been missing the assembly with the believers because it wasn't until he went into the sanctuary of God. He says, until that happened, that's when I began to understand. And Hebrews 10.25 says, For not forsaken the assembly of ourselves as in matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, listen, the closer we get to the second coming of Christ and things going on in this world, we need each other more than ever. We need each other to encourage one another. We need to exhort one another. But this man has been away from the sanctuary for a while. He'd been away before the presence of the Lord. And folks, if that was true in the Old Testament, how much more true is it in the New Testament? And I'll tell you, every one of you here today, you're much stronger in your faith. You're going to be more encouraged by just being here this morning. Just to praise, just to see one another, just to hear the music, just to see, meet a brother, see a sister, how they were doing, just to see a smile, just to get some encouragement, just to feel the glory of God. But you're not alone. There's something about perspective of the sanctuary which is wonderful when we come together. You know, I shared with you before, when I was younger, my dad would go to pastor conferences in New York and Virginia and so forth, and he worked third shift, and I just didn't want the man to die and get in a car accident, so I became his driver. And boy, I hated going to these pastor conferences. I'm telling you, I hated it, but I love my dad. You know, you get there, and it's just you sit in the back, because I wasn't in ministry back then when I started this, and it was just like, I got to drive him back nine hours, too? You know, and they keep talking and all these things, but sometimes you just sit and listen, you know, you just go. You don't really pay attention to it, but it sticks with you. And then sometimes they would have meetings just for pastors. So they would go off and, you know, to separate rooms and conferences. Well, I was not a pastor, so I'm sitting there all by myself, you know, drinking coffee. So at these conferences, there were a lot of old guys. They're what do you call pastor emeritus. They're not really pastors, but they're just 
get all the privileges of the pastor. So they don't go in any meetings. They just come to hang out for moral support. So, folks, these are the people that I would hang out with. <laughs> and, boy, going back home, was I encouraged. Half of these illustrations that I shared for, with you, it came from them. <laughs> because they seen a thing or two in life. Just learning from them. So, and, and, you know, I came to a realization later on. It's like, I know I hate going there, but on the way back, I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to be uplifted spiritually. So just go. And that's how I became permanently going to those things. It's something about being in fellowship with other believers, being in the sanctuary. And what he saw was this. In Psalm 73, verse 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Didn't Jesus say the same thing? And if you look at the Gospels of Luke and Luke 12, Verses 16 through 20. Then Jesus, this is Jesus. Then he spoke a parable saying to them, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, What shall I do since I have no more room to store my crops? I got more crops, I got more grain, I got more everything than my heart desires. I'm just filthy rich. What am I going to do? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down the barns and build greater ones, and therefore I'll store all my crops and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This is what Asaph was looking. They have everything. Eat, drink, marry. There's no problems. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things which you have provided? All it takes is just one vein popping in your brain. You're gone. Who's all those things? Are you going to take them with you? Who all these things you build yourself up or who are, who are they going to go to? So God brought him into a sanctuary and he said, take a closer look. What's going to happen? Look out there and see what's going to happen. And you know, Proverbs 28.20 says this, A faithful man will abound with blessings. So sometimes he was failing to see his blessings. But he who hastens, hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. When I read that verse, it's kind of like, well, it's not wrong to be rich. But you see that word, hastens, to be rich? It means that's what's your desire. That's what you run after. You will not be unpunished. You will be punished. And many people, you know, go into business and so forth, and that's fine if it's, you're doing it honestly. But sometimes people just go into business for making just, they already have enough. They just want more money, greed. They just want to be richer than the next guy. And the Bible tells us you will not. Go unpunished. And he gained understanding, and he says in 73.21, he says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. After he gained understanding, he is saying, I'm ashamed of myself. I was grieved to thinking this way about God. So foolish of me, I was ignorant. 
I was envious of the foolish, their prosperity. And folks, the Bible says, only fools envy fools. So he says, what a fool I've been, because I've been envying fools. And the final thing I want to look at, he begins to think of what he has versus what he doesn't have and the prosperity of the wicked. And verse 23 says, Nevertheless, I am continually, continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. What does he fail to realize? That he has personal presence of God in his life. I mean, his presence, thank God for his presence. And there's personal presence, that means there's personal power of God within us. Folks, I've seen many things that only can be described that God seen me through them. I'm not that smart. And think about the goodness of God and the presence of God in my life. I just think for his power. I may not have all the riches like all the world, but I got God. I wouldn't take the whole world for that. And just because I'm a preacher, you know, maybe that's what preachers are supposed to say, but I'm telling you with honestly. Because I see the end. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. There's presence, there's power of God, and there's purpose of God. Look at verse 24. He says, you will guide me with your counsel. The best counsel you can get is from God. His counsel. You will guide me with your counsel. I don't need the counsel of kings, queens, and so forth. Your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. Folks, we need to understand, we're not a ship here. Christians, hey, you're saved. You're like, you don't, your ship don't have a sail. You don't have a rudder. You don't have anything. You got counsel of God. You got directions from God. There's presence of God. There's power. There's purpose. And afterwards, receive me to glory. We're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. And unfortunately, if these wicked people don't repent, they're going to hell. Why envy sinners? Think about what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he comes to a conclusion here, and so must I do too. But look at verses 25 to 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Do you see that? First, he was desiring the wicked prosperity. Now he says, there's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you, you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you with harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. He concluded that unfaithful people were far from God and they would perish. And he says, but it's good for me to draw near to God. So now he has the right perspective of life. And folks, as we draw near to him and trust him, we gain the right perspectives in problems of our lives. We all have different problems. But if you want to gain the right perspective of the problem you're experiencing or things that you're going through, draw near to him and he will explain it. And folks, when we do that, we can also declare the work 
that God has done. He says that I may declare all the works. We can declare all the work that God's done in our lives and help others with struggling to realize that God is always in control and can be trusted in all things. So we need to take our eyes off sinners, never be envious of them. And let me tell you, it pays to serve Jesus. Folks, understand this, and I'm not trying to flaunt or whatever. There's things in my life that I could greatly profit from financially, had an easier life. But those things, if I took those things on, I would never be able to do ministry because I'm going to be so caught up in it. I would never be able to preach. I would never prepare to study. I would be missing out more on family time. And more importantly, my relationship with God will suffer. Folks, I think gold is one of those possessions that we all could have and it'll last a long time, right? Never goes down in value or if you got gold, right? Don't put in currency. You want gold. Why would I be treasuring up gold here and trying to get a reward here when when I die it goes to somebody else or who knows what happens to it? And if you really think about it, why would I be treasuring that up here, which is the most valued possession, where the place I'm going, it's considered dirt. It's, the sidewalks are made out of gold. That's, that's what they, they walk on this stuff. They don't even, it's not even worth value. It's, it's on the ground. And folks, I don't want to receive a reward here if, if the most prized possession gold is considered dirt there. I'd rather receive whatever's God's handing out in heaven. Because how much more, the, the, the lowest thing that God can give me is going to be worth more than the gold, the most precious thing here on earth. Why be envious of those sinners? Where are you putting your trust? And if you're struggling with God, it's not being fair. Well, maybe he's not your chief treasure. Because if he's your chief treasure, you got all you need. What are we setting our eyes on? What are we getting distracted from in this life? It might be wealth. It might be something else. It could be a sport. It could be something else that you value that takes things away from God. And with that being said, we're going to end in prayer. So think about those. Anything that we can experience, the trials and difficulties, they are short-lived. What does our life Bible say? 70, 70 years? And then be in eternity with God forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. You showered us with so many blessings on those who are poor in heart. Keep us from envying the possessions of those around us. Grant us the contentment with what we have, what you give us. It's good to be near you in the sanctuary because you are the strength of our hearts and as we led the portion forever. And Father, I pray for those who may not be saved that they come to saving grace and knowledge of you, Jesus. We have friends, relatives. Some may be backsliding. Father, we pray for those souls. 
that you not leave them alone with your hair spirit. And as we leave this place, Father, help us be the light to the world, especially in these trialing and difficult times. And I ask as we leave that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.